Hi, uh, this is Christopher Bruce, attorney in South Florida. Um, I'm here today with Dr. Facilia Bienenstock. Uh, she is a therapist in the Palm Beach Gardens area with a group practice that sees clients uh, also virtually throughout the state. And I'm really excited to talk to uh, Dr. Facilia about uh, trauma and divorce. I've seen her speak at a couple of our um, local um, uh, events for uh, therapists, and she speaks to attorneys also about some of these concepts. So, um, Cecilia, thank you so much for uh, the time that you've taken to uh, do this with us. And um, before we get uh, too much into the topic, if you could just let people know kind of who you are and, and kind of how you came uh, to here, and we'll continue with the conversation. Sure. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really glad to be here this morning. Um, so my name is Dr. Vasily Bannenstock. I'm a licensed mental health counselor. Um, I do see clients myself. I specialize in complex trauma. So people have had trauma that has been chronic or longstanding, particularly childhood trauma. Um, but I also have a group prep mental health practice and we see um, people ages two and all the way up to 100 plus, uh, and we do therapy in person or virtually throughout the state of Florida. So when we're talking about trauma and divorce, um, maybe before we get too much into it, um, what, what is the, the trauma that uh, does come up in divorce? Everybody kind of knows what we're talking about here. Sure. Yeah. So I think trauma is kind of becoming a buzzword, um, which has its advantages and disadvantages. Um, disadvantage, I think sometimes it's a little misunderstood. Um, so just to preface kind of talking about what trauma is. Um, so the usual definition of trauma is just experiencing an event that overwhelms our ability to cope with it uh, mentally and emotionally. Something that um, it overrides our ability to just cope with stress because it's so scary, so difficult, sometimes life-threatening or something like that. Um, and most people associate trauma even still in this day, even though trauma has become this buzzword, most people still associate it with something like um, a veteran, someone going to war, experiencing an awful event or an atrocity, and then having post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. Yeah. But the truth is there is such a wider range of how we're starting to understand trauma. So the event that I just described, that's something that we would call a big T, right? A one single event trauma that's a big event that uh, lasts and, and stays with the person sometimes. But we also now know that there are traumas that we call little T's. So they are smaller things that sometimes add up over time. So they could be, you know, being made fun of or humiliated by your partner, um, small acts of emotional abuse that might go unseen, but they really end up having a cumulative effect we've seen in the research that can often equal symptoms similar to someone who's experienced a big T trauma. So a lot of times people are going through divorce. It also depends on the partner, the person that they've been with and that they are divorcing. And also if they've had any sort of trauma in their past um, because traumas do tend to accumulate. So um, say they were with a narcissistic partner or they experienced any sort of emotional or even physical abuse during the relationship, they might be coming into the divorce with some trauma. And then, you know, divorces can go on for years. As you know, they can be sometimes very nasty. People trying to 
get revenge, get back at each other, sabotage each other, and really get in the way of the other person living their lives in, in a functional way. So all of these things can, first of all, be chronic and longstanding. So that's different than just one event and done. And then there could be multiple bigger and smaller events that sort of layer on top of that experience um, and really leaving someone with a lot of the symptoms that we see in just post-traumatic stress. So, Vasilia, I just, I heard one of the things you were saying, and I just wanted to um, make make sure I, I heard you right, because it um, sounded um, pretty important to me. So you're saying um, sometimes with some people, the the trauma that can build up and, and say a, a difficult relationship um, can um, in some ways be uh, equivalent to, you know, the, the type of trauma that um, is like post-traumatic stress disorder that, you know, maybe a, a soldier, a police officer, somebody could, um, you know, who witnessed something very traumatic um, could have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it can definitely have similar effects. And some of the things that we just don't see behind closed doors, you know, obviously we know there's physical abuse, unfortunately, sexual abuse can, can be prevalent in some marriages. People feel entitled to, to their partner in that way. And emotional abuse, you know, emotional abuse is one of those things that just gets swept under the rug. It really goes unseen, but the research has shown that it can be sometimes more damaging than physical abuse and the effects seem to last because they really erode someone's self-esteem and the words that someone else uses against us often become our own narrative even after we're we're no longer with that person so it's a kind of trauma that can continue unfortunately that, that is unfortunate and um i think it's really important people listening to this just recognize how much of an effect that um, it can have. Um, so when it comes to what triggers this type of, I, I'll call it relationship trauma, um, you know, trauma that comes up in um, an unhealthy relationship, um, sometimes in the divorce process, um, what, what are those trigger points? Well, like I said, it could be something that's overt abuse, or oftentimes it's, it, it's, it's things that are really covert. You know, so again, a lot of these terms have become buzzwords and, and just a general lexicon, um, which is a good thing. I think that, you know, some people might overuse these words like gaslighting or narcissist or things like that. Yeah. But at the same time, it's just bringing so much awareness because there have been so many people who are in relationships, struggling to leave a relationship or actually after they've left, who still continue to have these emotional effects. And they used to not understand what had happened to them. Um, so some of these things we do see in relationships where someone gets into a relationship and the partner's really lovely, just so wonderful. It's like a dream come true. And then not only does it come crashing down, but then they're experiencing some kind of emotional abuse, like being told that they're crazy or imagining things, being told that they are the cause of the emotional conflict, being told that they somehow cause the other person to um, have infidelity or something like that. And we've even seen that infidelity can have results that are similar to trauma. So some of the symptoms of post-traumatic stress are replaying or reliving an event in your mind without trying to. Images just pop into your head and they seem, they're very distressing and they're very difficult to get rid of. And they sometimes come at 
you know, the most inopportune times. And we've seen people who've been in a relationship where there was infidelity from the other partner having those kinds of symptoms to where they might be picturing their partner with another person, imagining those things happening or having some of the negative, the worthlessness or negative self-esteem that we also see as a symptom of post-traumatic stress, especially um, chronic post-traumatic stress. So to where they might feel worthless, they might doubt if they're good enough, they might uh, start to tear themselves apart emotionally or repeat to themselves, you know, some of the, the criticisms and insults that they receive from their partner. And often um, people are left confused after experiences in which they're emotionally abused or gaslit or anything like that. And, you know, we always, we're the kind of creatures that want to resolve something. We want answers. We want to understand why things happen. And a lot of times people experience that they end up blaming themselves. Wow, that's, um, I, I think for anybody that's thinking about going through the divorce process or, you know, even professionals like you and I helping somebody, um, and, you know, in some way through it, it's really important to understand this stuff. Um, mm -hmm. It's, you know, I've never heard a lot of things, but I haven't exactly heard it put this way. And that really makes me think about, um, you know, the type of care that I have and my lawyers have when we go about helping people through this process. Um, so when it comes to, actually going through a divorce or, you know, even the breakup of a relationship for uh, people that are not married, um, how does this um, trauma uh, affect someone? I think the number one thing I've seen is people who struggle to actually end the relationship because there's, there's so much self-doubt after a while. And if you think about it, you know, this is a person that used to love, maybe still love, you know, and um, I've seen people wonder, you know, will this person change or they'll pick up, you know, what we refer to as, as breadcrumbs, you know, so the person might mm -hmm. make a promise or make some small temporary change. And then the, the partner on the receiving end might start to doubt everything they've come to believe about the relationship, about the partner and hold on to those small glimmers of hope and those small breadcrumbs that something will get better. So the number one thing I've seen is just people kind of torment themselves in their own mind about whether or not they should stay in the relationship. And if it's been a particularly toxic relationship and there's been a lot of emotional abuse and blaming and gaslighting, a lot of times there's also a financial abuse um, or there are threats, you know, there are threats like, no one else could love you. You could never make it without me. You could never maintain your lifestyle. Uh, you won't see a dime from me. I'm going to make sure that, you know, everyone has a negative opinion of you. You know, all of our friends are going to think that you're the bad one or something like that. So there's also a lot of fear that if I leave this relationship, first of all, am I in the wrong? Am I giving up too soon? Am I giving up something that could have been good? Was I the one that made it bad? And also, is my life going to be destroyed if I leave this relationship? So I see a lot of people torn and they can stay that way for a very long time. That's, uh, that's, that's a lot to uh, go through if you're somebody that's already, I mean, leaving a relationship's hard, hard enough. Um, that's, that's a whole lot. Uh, to process. And I mean, I'll tell you, it's like, I think anybody that's listening to this, it sounds like some of this stuff 
might sound a little extreme. It's not. I mean, it, it would almost mm-hmm. sound like um, Basilia has been listening in on, on the client phone calls that, that we have, because this is the type of stuff that people are thinking as, as they're, you know, in the before, during, and sometimes even a little bit after um, the divorce process when they're married to somebody that's, you know, a toxic person. Um, so um, definitely um, it's, it's fascinating stuff, but it's real. Um, mm-hmm. So we have this stuff going on. People need to, to recognize it. Uh, but Vasilia, how, how do people try to minimize these, uh, the effect that this trauma can, can have on them when they're approaching a divorce or an ending a, a relationship to somebody that makes them feel this way? What, what do they do about it? I think the number one thing to do is just get support, is not stay silent. You know, there are so many people, regardless of the the mental health issue that they're coming in to see me for, that have this idea like they're the only ones. You know, mental health problems tend to be very isolating um, just by nature, and they make us feel like no one else could possibly feel this way. Something is uniquely wrong with us. So even just telling somebody about your experiences, getting some of that perspective, whether it's a friend, a therapist, even, you know, your lawyer or a support group, um, someone who's maybe seen this kind of thing before or who knows you really well and can dispel um, some of these negative ideas that you might have about yourself. I think that's the most important thing. So really having like a support team that can be made up of, you know, all of those people that I just that I just mentioned and making sure to consistently check in because, you know, sometimes we all can do this to ourselves no matter the issue. We can build ourselves up and convince ourselves and be ready for something and change our mind and feel good about something. And then, you know, when we're home at night by ourselves and anxiety starts to creep in, we can start to tear that apart and go all the way back to doubting ourselves again. So just making sure that you're having consistent and regular support. I think it's the most important thing. So kind of closely related, um, you know, when people are going through um, the breakup of a difficult relationship or marriage uh, through the divorce process, um, if there's kids, it gets harder. Um, And, you know, just from your experience, um, you know, say somebody is listening to this thinking, you know, my husband is going to make the divorce hard. I might be having some of these feelings uh, that are being talked about here. What's the best thing they can do um, for their children um, when uh, they approach that divorce or, or end of the relationship to minimize any trauma they might be experiencing or that they might experience in the process? Yeah, that's a great question because that's one of the things I hear so often is being hesitant to leave a relationship or get a divorce because there are children involved. And how is it going to affect the children? How will the other person, the other parent behave with the children? What is it going to be like to co-parent with them? Um, often people don't want a step-parent in the, in, in the situation. They don't want another person to come in and help, quote-unquote, raise their children. And all these things they commonly think about. Um, but I think it's important for people to understand, even though there are things that could go wrong, the other parent might try to turn children against you or something like that. Unfortunately, we do see these things. You do have some control over how this affects the children. You know, one thing is just remembering if you're in a high conflict relationship, 
there's no way to hide that from the kids. You know, everyone thinks that they are hiding it. And then I'll work with kids sometimes and they're like, oh, my parents are fighting. They think I don't know, you know? Um, so it's actually, the research has shown it's better for children's mental health after divorce if it was a high conflict relationship. Um, another thing to remember is that you can't control what the other parent does, but you can control what you do. So just being, you know, you can be honest and open and transparent with your kids about what has happened. But I see some people who they think they're protecting their kids by sort of fixating on the other parent and nitpicking and trying to find out, you know, do this detective work to find out what happened when the children were at the other parent's house um, or just talking about the other parent negatively. And I understand where that would come from maybe trying to protect kids or maybe just because it's built up so much and needs somewhere to go. Um, but, you know, not engaging with that, you know, speaking to your adult peers, um, talking to a therapist about your frustrations, that is more helpful. And then just talking to kids about divorce. There are a lot of great resources out there. I find it helps if children are at the age where more of their friends' parents have been through divorce it starts to just kind of normalize it that, you know, this is something that happens in some families. It's not the end of the world, but there are some really great books out there um, for kids, you know, so parents can kind of read these to their kids. I think one is called Divorce is Not the End of the World, you know, and that's probably my favorite one because it addresses co-parenting, addresses being in two different households. It addresses, you know, why did my parents get divorced? Is it my fault or something like that? Because kids do tend to think of those things. Um, but I think if you support them and you kind of teach them that, you know, sometimes this happens and it's not the end of the world. And some people get better after divorce. You know, some people really have better co-parenting relationships when they're not together than when they are together. That's great advice. And I guess um, I, I'm just curious if you have any advice for the people that are giving advice to people and, and through the divorce process, say maybe um, the divorce attorneys of the world or mental health professionals whose, you know, practice overlaps people who at times are, are going through the divorce. Do you have any um, advice for, for these people, for me, um, on how to, um, you know, be a, I, I guess, more thoughtful uh, professional and, and helping your client who might be dealing with this type of trauma as, as they're going through um, the, the separation process? Sure. So the first thing that comes to my mind as you're asking me that question is, you know, just having compassion and patience, you know, maybe trying to put yourself in that person's shoes. Uh, which as therapists, you know, hopefully we we all do. But the truth is, you know, we are human beings, whether you're a therapist or an attorney. And sometimes it can get frustrating, I think, to watch somebody waffle. So it can be frustrating to spend a lot of time and a lot of sessions with someone trying to get them to understand this is not their fault, um, trying to get them to understand the other person's, the other partner's actions. And they seem to be doing great. And then they come in one day and it seems like it's all been undone. Right. And now they're going back and maybe I should, you know, go back to the relationship. Maybe I was the one who caused the problem. And I think that's something that can test any professional, you know, cause we, we feel we have so much empathy. We feel like we've made progress. If we get you to make progress. And then when that backslides, that can be triggering for any professional. So just having that meta awareness 
that that's something that can happen. It's something that we call counter-transference in our profession when the therapist experiences some sort of emotion based on emotional reaction to, to the client, which either reminds us of something we've been through or is triggering us in a more personal way instead of a professional way. So if you have that meta-awareness that this is happening, just having compassion that this back and forth is part of the process and that you know gains aren't necessarily lost there's nothing necessarily wrong with the person. It's not that they're not trying. It's not that they're not listening. It's that, you know, they, they've been, you know, maybe they've been in this relationship 10, 15, 20 years, and they've had hundreds of experiences where they say, you know, this is my need, and this is how I felt violated by you. And the other person says, how dare you say that to me? You're the one with the problem. You know, so think about if you've experienced that hundreds, maybe thousands of times, like I said, these small T's, like these little T's, these little emotional abuse interactions. Think about how hard it is to become certain of yourself after something like that. So I think if we just reach into having that compassion and understanding that ups and downs and, you know, progress and then backsliding, it, it's all part of the process. Sounds like great advice, and I, I think this uh, this interview will be going um, all around my law firm. So thank you for um, for that. Um, so for the the people who've been listening to this um, that are you know this is really resonating uh, with them. Um, I think possibly that there's there's somebody that's experiencing this trauma, or they they know they they are. I mean, maybe if you could speak for just a little bit about um, your therapy practice and. Um, you know, how uh, you and your, your team of uh, therapists um, can be reached, what, what you help people with so that they can get in touch if it sounds like it, it might be the you know, appropriate match. Yeah, sure. So um, one thing about my therapy practice is that we are all trauma-informed. So even if uh, someone who works here, their focus isn't mainly trauma, everyone has training in trauma and is trauma-informed. And, and what that means is that we understand when we see issues like low self-esteem, anxiety, depression, things that you might not associate with trauma, we understand that there might be some component of that within. And um, just understanding that and taking that holistic approach of you know understanding a person through that lens. Um, but we are a group practice, we are private, so we don't take insurance. Um, there are benefits to that. And one of the benefits is confidentiality and the fact that no one is dictating how often you can come or how long you can come. So a lot of people really like that kind of service and, and not having to wait on long waiting lists or anything like that. Um, we have several clinicians and we do offer a range of fees. We have some interns down at the lower end. And so we try to accommodate everyone that we can. Um, but we kind of, we run the gamut. We cover all these different specialties. So we have uh, therapists who specialize in play therapy, sand tray therapy, where they're working with kids as young as two years old. Um, and we have someone who offers EMDR, which is uh, a trauma therapy and advanced trauma therapy. Uh, and we cover couples, premarital, eating disorders, trauma, depression, anxiety, all the things. Um, so we kind of are full service like practice for families in the county. Most people like to come see us in person in the Palm Beach Gardens office, but a lot of people choose to do telehealth, whether they live close by um, or anywhere else in, in the state of Florida. That's perfect. And if um, somebody wants to get in touch with you, I mean, we'll have all uh, the information on this video and the show notes, but um, 
are uh, maybe you just say your website if you have any of the social media um, places sure. where they should be looking uh, so they can uh, hear it and follow up. Yeah, sure. So um, the practice is Juno Counseling and Wellness, and our website is just junocounseling.com. Juno is in Juno Beach. That's where I got started. Um, we do have a, a lot of social media. We have an Instagram, Juno Counseling, that's for the practice. I have a personal Instagram. It's uh, just called Dr. Vasilia. And that's where I talk about um, my own specialty only. So I talk about mostly childhood trauma there and how trauma is compounded and repeated. I'm also a survivor of childhood trauma. And I often on that platform will share some of my own experiences and my own recovery, you know, recovering from that and becoming someone who, you know, became a helping professional. Um, so yeah, those are great ways to find us. You can go through our website or you can just give us a call. Um, it's it's on our website. Perfect. Um, this has uh, been a great time. Um, and I think it's uh, really important stuff for anybody to understand whether uh, you're contemplating going through divorce, maybe uh, have went through it, or if if you know somebody uh, that, that might be. So um, Dr. Vasilia, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate you having me.